I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 2. 2 Samuel chapter 2. Um, we are, uh, once, again, once again, we're moving ahead uh, in the narrative to the point where David learns that Saul and his sons have been killed. Um, it should come as no surprise that Saul didn't keep his word. Remember, kind of the way we ended things last time was... Saul said, I, I won't give you any more trouble. You know, I'm not going to sin against you. I'm not going to seek your life. You're safe. Whatever. Um, that wasn't true. Saul pretty much was always trying to kill David. Um, David had yet another chance to take Saul's life. Um, this time, what David did was even more brave and daring um, and just, just really interesting than what happened last time because David sneaks into Saul's camp. Saul's got 3,000 men. They're there kind of waiting to try to find David. Saul, I mean, David sneaks into Saul's camp, goes into his tent, and takes his spear and a jug of water uh, and takes it away and takes it from Saul and then goes and kind of stands up on a ridge. And in the morning when everybody gets up, he calls down to Saul and says, hey, look, I, you know, these things, I could have done this again, but I've never, I've never sinned against you, I've never done you any harm. Um, is God telling you to kill me, or is it men? If it's God, then, you know, may it be so, but if it's men, then, then maybe, maybe let's go a different route. There are some weird things that happen in between that we kind of pass over. Uh, one thing, um, Samuel dies, that's, that's not the weird thing, that's normal, but Samuel dies, uh, and Saul is looking for advice from Samuel. And so he goes to a medium, he goes to a witch, and he asks for Samuel to be brought forward. Um, there's been a lot of debate over if it was really Samuel or was it some other spirit, like what was going on there. Um, but what we see is that Samuel said, if God's not talking to you, I'm not going to talk to you. So whether it was a spirit, a, a demon, or Samuel, or whatever it was, it didn't reveal anything. It didn't give us any information, so it's not like it's taking information from some kind of witchcraft or something like that. So that was a weird thing that happened. Um, David eventually takes two wives, um, and in that process, he also winds up moving in with the Philistines. So that's another odd thing that happens. David has killed his tens of thousands of Philistines, including Goliath and all the others, and David winds up moving in with them because he says, well, Saul's going to kill me if I stay in Israel, but if I go live with the Philistines, maybe he won't mess with me, and so that's what he does. It seems that David may have stayed there for some years, but he never did harm to Israelites. He had about 600 men with him. They did raids, but they never did raids against the Israelites. So in all of that time... David did not strike against his own people. Um, what eventually leads um, David to part ways with the Philistines is they're all going into battle, um, but the Philistines are going against Israel, and the lords of the Philistines don't want David with them, and David probably wasn't going to go anyway. So David goes another way and finds out that he's got his own battle. Uh, the um, Amalekites, the people that Saul was supposed to destroy so many years ago, they have came and taken David's wives and all the wives and children of his men. They've taken them. And so that's a thing that happens. And David goes and punishes these people um, and brings back everybody, like all of his people, the wives and the children, all of that. And so that's where David is. And the Philistines are going to fight what would be their last battle against Saul leading the Israelites. And so this rivalry between Saul and David finally comes to an end. 
Uh, and it's when Saul and uh, his sons all die on the battlefield. That's when it all comes to an end, is when, when Saul and his sons die on the battlefield. It's important just to, to pay attention enough to note that all of son, Saul's sons die as well. If Saul had had a son continue to live, there would have always been trouble about who should be king. Um, everybody that reads this story wants Jonathan to live. We want Jonathan to live. He's a good man. He loves God. He's been fair and just with David. We want Jonathan to live. But even if it was Jonathan that lived, there would always be trouble. There would be those that say Jonathan should be king. And so this is the way that it works out, and God's plans and ways are greater than our plans and ways for sure. Uh, so the sermon in a sentence is this, and it's kind of in keeping with the theme of what David has been going through for so long. Vengeance belongs to the Lord, and gloating never belongs among believers. So what we're about to read, 2 Samuel chapter 1, David learns of Saul's death, and his response is what we're actually looking at. How does he respond? Because David has lived probably many years, it, it seems like at least 10 years, he's lived on the run. Meanwhile, every time he can help Saul or do a kindness to Saul or help Israel fight the Philistines, whatever, he's done that. So David has done everything possible to be good and to be helpful and to bring glory both to Israel and to Saul specifically. And all of this time he's lived it on the run because he is afraid that Saul is trying to kill him. Meanwhile, there's some other things that happened. Remember Saul gave one of his daughters to be David's wife? Well, he took her back. Um, all kinds of just really major insults and things that have happened over this course of time. So how do you think David's going to respond when he finds out that Saul's dead? How would we respond if our mortal enemy, the person that has vexed us for a decade or better, if that person were to die, how would we respond? Well, we want to look at how David answers this whole situation because that is, that's the heart of what we're talking about here um, this morning. So I'm going to read this to you. Um, this is uh, 2 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, we're going all the way through to verse 27. Um, after the death of Saul, when David had returned from striking down the see, I know I can say it, Amechalites, that's not how you say it. Anyway, uh, David remained two days in Ziklag. And on the third day, behold, a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. And when he came to David, he fell to the ground and paid homage. David said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, how did it go? Tell me. And he answered, the people fled from the battle, and also many of the people have fallen and are dead. Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. Then David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? The young man said, and the young man who told him said, By chance, I happened to be on Mount Gilba, and there was Saul leaning on his spear, and behold, the chariots and the horsemen were close upon him. And when he looked behind him, and he saw me, and he called to me, and I answered him, Here I am. And he said to him, and he said to me, "Who are you?" I answered him, "I am an Amechalite." I said it different a while ago. I can't remember how now. And he said to me, "Stand beside me and kill me, for anguish has seized me, and yet my life still lingers." And so 
I stood beside him and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm and I have brought them here to my Lord. Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man, who told him, Where do you come from? And he answered, I am the son of a sojourner, an Amalekite. I think that's right. David, thank you. David said to him, How is it that how is it you were not afraid to put your hand uh, to put out your hand and to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David that's a rhetorical question, the boy doesn't get to answer. Uh, David called one of his young men and, and said, Go execute him. And he struck him down so that he died. And David said to him, Your blood be on your head, for, you, uh, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. And David lamented with, the lamentation over, with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan his son, and he said it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the book of Jahar, Jashar, uh, he said, Your glory, O Israel, is slain in your high places. How the mighty have fallen! Tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Ashkelion, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. Your mountains of Gilba, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offering, for there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. From the blood of the stain, and from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Your daughters of Israel, you daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen. The weapons of war perished. Okay, so... As we look at this, you know, there's obviously, I guess, details that we have to look at, and then we'll look at David's lament. First of all, we're going to look how David learns about Saul's death. David was in the town um, that he was allowed to live in among the Philistines uh, when everything changes. So just as, uh, just a slight, just in case it wasn't super clear, so David had went to the Amechalites, those folks, he had went there and he had defeated them because they had taken his wife, they had taken both of his wives, they had taken the wives and children of his men, but they didn't kill any one of them. So they came to the place, they defeated the people, they took all of their stuff back to this city, this um, uh, town that they were allowed to live in, and they were there for a couple of days when this messenger comes walking up into town. 
Now David knew that the Philistines and the Israelites were about to do battle, but apparently had not received word about how the battle had went. Maybe no Philistines had come back yet because they were gathering spoils, and no Israelite refugees had ran that way. So he, that's Philistine territory. So for some reason, this young man runs to David. Now, what we know um, from the, um, the, uh, the first Samuel is that when the fight happened, Jonathan and all of Saul's sons were dead. Saul was severely wounded from archers. He had been hit a couple of times by archers. And he asked his armor bearer to kill him. Take your sword and kill me. And the armor bearer will not do it. He was an Israelite. He would not kill the Lord's anointed. And so what it says is that Saul fell on his own sword. It does use the word sword. And then when the armor bearer saw that, the armor bearer fell on his sword. So that would have wiped out any witnesses of what happened. Now the story, the report that we get from this young man is slightly different. Um, but as we go through this, hopefully we'll be able to see um, that, that maybe, maybe it wasn't, um, maybe there's not a conflict there at all. David and his men have just returned from a victory against the, them folks when news of Saul's defeat reaches him. So this messenger comes up in these tattered clothes. He's got dirt on his head. So the fact that his clothes were torn and he had dirt on his head, if he was a non-combatant, that means that he was in mourning. Uh, if he was in combatant, it might mean that somebody had beat him up a little bit or tore his clothes or whatever. So, so he shows up. We don't know anything about this guy except what we get in this passage right here. We have no other background information to kind of cross-reference or see what's going on here. This is all we know. He does seem to be an actual eyewitness to this story. And the reason that it does seem that he was an eyewitness to Saul and what was going on there is the fact that he presented David with the crown and the armoring of Saul. So Saul would have wore a crown, he would have had an armoring or an armlet um, all on him, and so this would have been kind of like the crown jewels, so to speak. Um, and so he does present that to David. So he definitely was there. Uh, it would have been dangerous to get there after the Philistines got to Saul because obviously they're going to be taking Saul's crown. They're going to be taking anything of value at that particular point. So most likely he really did get there um, when Saul was still alive and he most likely did what, what he says that he did. So the only thing that, that might be, some people would say that there would be a conflict because First Samuel says Saul fell on his sword. This says, the young man says that Saul was leaning on his spear. Not a lot of difference between sword and spear and the fact that, David, that, that Saul tried to fall on his sword. Maybe he had wounded himself so grievously that he would eventually die because the young man says he's never going to live again. He's never going to get up after he'd fallen, but he was still in there in anguish. And the fact is, it's harder to, to kill people than you think. And so Saul was still hanging on. And it seems like this young man finished him off. And that's the story that he tells David. So he brings news of this battle, uh, and he's probably also seeking safety among David and his men. If he had been seen with the king of Israel, then he would not be safe among the Philistines uh, or really anybody else at that point. So um, Saul's entire line has been killed in this, uh, on this field of battle against the Philistines. That wipes them all out. And again, just, just so you know, that makes sure that there's no doubt about secession when David uh, steps onto the steps onto the throne later. So according to this messenger, the battle ends in a rout. 
Um, these are this is always a terrible situation. So as long as soldiers are facing each other and fighting, um, it's as long as there's not like crazy numbers on one side, it's usually man for man. But when someone turns and runs, they usually drop their weapons and their shields and they just turn and run. If you've got archers, that's going to be bad news because you can shoot them for a little ways. And so it's going to be a slaughter at this point. It's not going to be a fight anymore. It's going to be a slaughter. So the, the, the Philistines are, are killing who they can, taking the, the resources, the, the whatever armor or whatever weapons, whatever shields, whatever of value they could find, they would have been taking that as they go. But this route means that there's nobody standing there to protect the king. To his credit, David and his sons stood in and fought. Uh, Saul was wounded by multiple archers, according to the account we get in 1 Samuel. So he was standing in, he took arrows, he was fighting. What he didn't want was to be captured, severely wounded by the Philistines, because he knew that they would do terrible things to him before they let him die. And so that's why he wanted to, uh, to die and why he asked his armor bearer to kill him. So... Uh, the armor bearers, are the, the, the young man, this messenger here, he says, I just happened to be, just, you know, just occurred that I was on the mountain that Saul was on when he died, right? And so when he's there and, and he sees Saul, Saul sees him and, and asks him who he is. Uh, and it's, it's got to be a little ironic. This um, Amechalite, or however you want to say his name, he was of the line that Saul should have wiped out early in his reign. If you'll remember, God sent Saul to go kill these folks. And remember, Saul saved the king, left him alive, left some animals and some other things alive. That decision was a really bad decision. It is not a coincidence. It is not irony. Um, it is God's justice that, that, that's happening here. So it is... It is this person that ultimately takes Saul's life. So Saul was once commanded to kill these people, but his refusal haunted him to his last breath. David was just fighting these very same people. They had risen back up. So the thing that we have to recognize is that when God gives us a command, well, it's cliche to say it, but choices have consequences, right? When God gives us a command, we are to obey that command. We have to do what God tells us to do. And, and the reality is we have to follow that. He expects us to follow it. And we don't need to let our better judgment, which may have been what you know, Saul was saying, well, this was a king or this was, these were valuable. So we don't need to let our better judgment lead us into a lifetime of regret because that's exactly what Saul had. Whether it really haunted him or not, like mentally, it was always there. He was fighting these people, he was worried about these people, and ultimately he was even killed by one of these folks. And so it was a terrible, terrible thing um, for him not to fully obey God's command. And if you'll recall, that was one of the things that God said for this reason, I'm going to take my spirit away from you. Um, so short little part here, David actually does execute uh, Saul's killer. Um, David and the men that were close to him, they tear their clothes um, they begin to um, fast uh, and mourn. Um, they uh, they, they kind of go right into that process. So it might be surprising that this is the response because Saul was the one that was their tormentor. Saul was the one that had them on the run. Saul was the reason they were living in Philistine territory. But instead of celebrating or gloating or anything like that, they go into question. And this might seem like a surprising reaction, but we have to know 
a little bit about David. David trusted the Lord. David trusted God's plan, trusted God's judgment, trusted what God was doing. So David and all of his men begin the process of grieving the king of Israel. So once David begins this grieving process, he once again speaks to this messenger. Um, and, and again, rhetorical questions at this point. So one thing that he does ask him is, where, where are you from? Like, who are you? Tell, tell me a little bit about yourself. And um, this guy says that his father had been a sojourner in the land. And so what that means is that they were obviously from somewhere else, but they had spent considerable time in the promised land among the Israelites. So it doesn't mean that they were converted. doesn't mean that they were Jewish by religion or anything like that. But you couldn't have lived in Israel without hearing the word, without knowing their customs, without being kind of flooded with that kind of information. He would have known not to kill uh, the king of Israel at least that much. Um, so the messenger should have known enough to know that he should not have killed Saul. That was basic. This armor bearer knew not to kill Saul. Direct command from the king, kill me. No, not going to do that. And so we have to understand that, that the sojourner would have known enough not to reach out and kill the Lord's anointed either, but yet he did it anyway. So we know that David was very protective of Saul. He did not appreciate this at all. And so when he learns the full extent of this man's actions, he can only see one option. And, and I do want to point out here um, that um, David was in a very, uh, I guess you would say, unique position. Um, this man had killed the Lord's anointed, and he knew that it had, something had to happen. But David's actions were justice, not revenge. David was already anointed to be the next king. Now the king is dead, so he's already stepping into that role of king. And so he has this young man executed. And again, it's not vengeance. It's not his anger at the man. This is justice. There is no way that someone can strike down the Lord's anointed and live. Um, David placed himself in the middle of God's will, and so this was the choice that he had to make. Uh, we need to remember that we're not, if, if your greatest enemy dies, that doesn't make you president. That doesn't make you king. And so we're in a different situation than David was in. We cannot just execute people because they do something we don't like. So that's not the example we're pulling from David. What we're pulling from David is the fact that, that he followed God's word, God's law, and he did exactly what God would want him to do in that situation. For us, we've got to place our trust in the Lord. The Lord's going to vindicate us, and when the time is right, he will give us justice. But we can't just do what we want to do and think that it's going to be okay. So again, I, I just want to, I guess, reiterate before I go to the last point. We face problems. Some of those problems are our own making. We have sinned. We've made mistakes. We've done things wrong, and now we've got a problem. We've got a mess to fix. And in those cases, we will get guidance, or we'll get some ideas from David about how to deal with that, because he goes through some of that same stuff. But there's also times where it's not something that we did. It's not, a, it's not a sin that we committed. There's no cause on our side. So, for example, all the folks trying to pick up their lives this week after the, the tornadoes came through, God doesn't just send tornadoes to judge people. This, was, this is a natural, this is within the natural system. It happened, and now people are trying to pick up their lives and put things back together. 
Now, the thing that I have already saw and the thing that, that makes me so excited is that Christians and neighbors and community members join together and they do things that help each other out. They're constantly sharing resources, sharing supplies, offering shelter. They're doing the things that need to be done to help people out. So did God send tornadoes to Alabama? No, God didn't necessarily try to destroy parts of Alabama, but he did send Christians to minister no matter what happens. And when that tornado happens or when whatever natural disaster happens, that's not anybody's fault. But when that happens, we have a way to help. We have a way to minister. God will redeem that for good through the actions and the work of his people. And so that's exactly what's going on in certain places in Alabama right now. And we know that it has went on pretty much for every disaster that's happened. Um, Christians have stepped in and, and provided some serious help in situations. Um, one of the things, not planned that at all, but it, one of the things that your Alabama um, State Board of Missions does, and, and, and it's really like an SBC thing, but we do it specifically, is disaster relief. Um, they'll show up with their yellow hats. Uh, they've got chainsaw crews. They've got cooking crews. They've got folks that show up at disasters. And a lot of times they're there a long time before the government is there with help. And they're doing the things that need to be done. Because in those moments, you need your roads cleared. You need trees off your houses. You need hot food. And those are the things that they do right away. This is how we as Christians serve. This is how we as Christians do things in a situation where people are like, well, why did God let this happen? Well, I, that's, that's way above my pay grade, but I know what I can do to help. And so that's where, that's where um, Christians are supposed to step in. So that was not part of the sermon at all. That's free. All right. So David mourns Saul and his son. So even though um, these events uh, cleared the way for David to take the throne, he views the death of Saul and his sons as a thing to be mourned. This speaks to his character. This definitely tells us who um, David was. He was not a man that was just concerned about things that would benefit him. You, we all know people like that. We all know people who are only concerned with things that help them. David was not like that. David was concerned with God's plan. David was concerned with other people's lives. And that shows in the way that he responds here. Um, so if, if you look at, at, at verse um, 17 and 18, um, David actually instructs that this lament is saved, that it is taught to the people of the nation. He wanted this to be something that everybody would hear, that everybody would know, this lament over Saul and his sons. So he says, The glory of Israel has been slain on a mountain. And, and three times David exclaims, How the mighty have fallen. So put yourself in David's shoes for a minute and just kind of walk down that path. Everything that you've been through with Saul. I mean, he's literally an Indian giver. He gave you a wife and took her away. Every time you think you're settled in, he tries to kill you. It's been difficult. It's been tough. But he refers to Saul as the glory of Israel. Three times, how the mighty have fallen. He talks about Saul's sword didn't return empty. I mean, he was fighting. He was fighting to the very end. He, he talks about the glory of Saul, the good things about Saul. He looks at this in a way that is, that is positive. He looks at this in the way that God would look at it, not in the way that an offended person might would look. Um, so the glory of Israel, the mighty have fallen. Regardless of the way Saul had treated David, David viewed the king as God's anointed and the mighty leader of Israel. He looks at, 
at, at the king as the one that God chose. Now, when he becomes king, he's going to expect that same treatment, but that is the way that he looked at the king. David had not forgotten his difficult relationship with Saul, and he's not being fake in this moment. He was merely able to view the king as the Lord viewed him. Sometimes when people compliment you, they're not being real. I hate to be the one that breaks that bad news to you, but not every nice thing somebody says is what they really believe. It's just what they decided to say in that moment. David was not being fake here. I know this for a fact because it's recorded in Scripture. This is now God's word and God doesn't lie. David really felt this way about Saul. He really felt this move to say these things about Saul and Jonathan. He was expressing the, the pain that he felt because he was viewing the situation as God viewed it, not as he would view it. He knew he had a difficult relationship with Saul, but it was not something that he was going to dwell on. David does not wish for the news of Saul's death to go out. So that's why he says, um, don't, don't let it be told in Gath. Uh, don't let this be celebrated because he, or, or known because he doesn't want the Philistines out there celebrating that Saul is dead. He just doesn't want the pagans to celebrate as if they've had a victory over God's anointed. He doesn't want that. And so as he looks at that, he sees it. Um, as something that doesn't need to go out. In fact, he's actually technically demanding that nature fast, just like him. I don't want dew on the ground, none of that kind of stuff. We definitely are all in mourning at this particular point. So as deeply as David would mourn Saul, it doesn't even compare to the mourning that he would experience for Jonathan because he, that, Jonathan and, and David had a very strong bond, a very strong bond indeed. Um, he loved him as a dear friend. Um, David says he has no other relationship like the relationship he has with Jonathan. He, he says that it's better than, 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 than women. It is, it is a deep, lasting relationship. And what we see from this, uh, the deep pain that David expresses over the loss of Jonathan demonstrates the powerful connection that can exist among believers. Jonathan was a man of God. David was a man of God. They loved the Lord and they were connected. They had a bond. That brotherhood, that camaraderie, that you know, soldier-to-soldier connection is something that you can't really explain it. But they had it. And so what we have to recognize here is that David is a man that is hurt. Deep, deep in his hole, he's hurt. Uh, deep, deep in his soul, he's hurt. It hurts him deeply. And so we have to recognize that pain. Um, so it's key that we notice what David's not saying right now. There are things that he could be saying he's not saying. He's not saying that, you know, he can finally become king because Saul is dead. He can finally be safe because Saul's dead. He's not celebrating in any way. And at this point, he's not even thanking God that his enemy is dead. He's not at that place. He is at the place where he is mourning. He's not gloating in any other way um, uh, over the fact that he's been vindicated. He's not celebrating this at all. Um, the major difference between David and Saul, David was so in tune with the Lord that he was able to feel the way that the Lord would feel about this situation. That's difficult to do. It's very easy for us to be at least somewhat self-centered and see how something could help us. It would not be considered by anybody selfish for David to say, Whew, at least I don't have to look over my shoulder every day from now on. I mean, that was an everyday reality. 
I've never lived as an outlaw. I don't know what that's like. But that is how David was forced to live. He lived as an outlaw. He was hiding in caves. He was hiding in fortresses and strongholds. He, he went to the enemy's cities just so that he could find peace. That was a difficult thing. But David doesn't celebrate in this moment. David or Saul's dead, so now I can be free. Now I can be safe. Now I can go home. He doesn't act like that. Instead, he sees it as a painful situation the way that the Lord would see it. So let's wrap this up. David had both reason and opportunity to take Saul's life, but he chose to patiently wait on the Lord. Now, that had to be very, very difficult. But he did it because he was trusting God to do the things that he knew he shouldn't do. When God did vindicate David, he turned to the Lord instead of gloating. Very, very important. Turn to God, give God praise, give God glory, but don't gloat. Don't be the kind of person that celebrates the misfortune of others. There will absolutely be times in our lives where we face enemies for no apparent reason. Um, it, it, it might be people that just seem to have it out for you even though you know, you've done nothing to them. It may be situations like weather, natural disasters, things like that. You will face an enemy and you will not know why this enemy has come against you. Um, in, when that occurs, the easiest thing to do is try to fight back or to seek our own vindication. But we can't do that because here's the reality. God is our defender. He's our protector. He's our provider. He will bring justice to us. He will bring vindication to us. If we pursue it on our own, that makes us selfish and it takes us out of the will of God. We can't do that. We have to let God fight those battles for us. Look, David's not Jesus, but in this case, he did give us an example that we can follow for how to deal with this kind of trouble, the trouble that we didn't create. David deals with that through humility. He deals with that through patience. He deals with that through obedience. He never took matters into his own hand. And even when the situation is ultimately dealt with, he was humble and he was focused on God. That's what we need to remember. We need to remember to be humble in all situations. We need to focus on God. So if somebody is saying something about you and it hurts and you know that it's not supposed to be said or it's not right, if somebody is doing something that is causing you grief or trouble, if all of a sudden you go to the doctor and you've had great doctor visits and all of a sudden you go to the doctor and it's terrible news, if all of a sudden there's a natural disaster or something goes wrong, electrical wiring problem in your house and all of a sudden there's a fire, these are things that are coming against you. You didn't cause them, they're coming against you. How do you deal with that? You trust God, humble yourself, pray, depend on Him, let Him be your warrior, let Him be your defender, let Him be the one that fights for you in those situations. The easiest thing in the world to do is to, to complain or to claim that we have this right or we have this privilege. We don't have those things, we have God. I would much rather have God than have entitlement. I would much rather have God than get my own say, tell my side of the story. I would much rather have the Lord. And so I just encourage you, no matter what you are facing, if you're facing a storm that is not your doing, trust in God. He is there for you. He will help you through it. It'll be in His time, but He will bring about justice. He will bring about what you need in His time, not necessarily in ours. Trust in Him. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning. And Father, I know as we gather here this morning, there's... There's some of us that are going through some problems that, that we didn't create, whether it be medical or financial, whether it be 
some interpersonal thing, whatever it might be. I know that we're, we're coming here with burdens and problems and troubles that, that are far beyond what, what we could possibly even think about creating. But we know that you are present. You are with us. You hear the cries of our heart. You know what needs to be done. And when the time is right, we believe that you will do it. Now, Lord, I pray this morning for each and every one of us that we would have the wisdom and the patience that David had in, this, in these situations that he was facing. Let us be faithful to you. Let us, let us never turn away to try to do our own thing. That's when we get into problems of our own making. Father, I pray that you would make us faithful to you. Make us trusting of you. You know, Lord, as we do gather together, we do want to think about the families of the people that lost their lives in, in these, these tornadoes. We want to think about the folks that are trying to pick everything else up off the ground and, and put it back together. We just ask that you would be with them. And Father, I thank you that Christians are already working. They're not looking for answers or reasons why this happened. They're just working. They're doing what you have led them to do. And I pray that we would have that attitude with every situation that we face in our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.